You are listening to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Glad you decided to tune in today. Hey, this is where we talk about what's going on in the economy and the markets from an historical perspective to help you figure out what you should be doing with your money. And to that end, we have a terrific resource website for you to look at and check out. You can go to retirementlifestyleadvocates.com, and there's a lot of resources available there, including our weekly newsletter titled Portfolio Watch. The newsletter is free. It's delivered every Monday at 5 o'clock, and you can go to retirementlifestyleadvocates.com, enter your email address, and you'll get it every week. You know, when you look at what's going on in the financial markets of late, stocks have been doing really well again this year. In fact, when stocks did pull back, they made what I would call a perfect textbook bounce off their 50-day moving average. Now, many of you may not be familiar with what that means, but if you look at a stock price chart, and we've all seen them, A moving average line is a line that's plotted on the chart, and it is 50 price days averaged together. So it's the average value of the stock market over the last 50 days. And technical analysts will look at the current value of stocks, the current stock price, and as long as that price remains above its 50-day moving average, they will consider stocks to continue to be in a bull market. So that's what happened a few weeks ago. Stocks bounced off their 50-day moving average, which, as I said, is widely considered to be a bullish indicator for stocks. Now, when you look at stocks more fundamentally speaking, it's very, very difficult to ignore the relationship or the correlation between the expanding balance sheet of the Federal Reserve, and the rise in stocks. Now, if you were listening to last week's program, you know that when you hear the phrase, the Fed is expanding its balance sheet, it simply means that the Fed is printing money. So the correlation can be really summed up in just a few words. The Fed prints and stocks rally. And since mid-September, the Fed has expanded its balance sheet by almost $400 billion. So when you look at the stock market, things look pretty good. And when you look at the broader economy, there is also some other good economic news. Now, I've noted here on the program often that the official unemployment rate is really not a terrific metric to use when it comes to measuring real employment. And the reason for that is, is that the calculation methodology, the method that's been used to calculate what the unemployment rate is, has changed over the years to make the official number look more favorable. If you haven't looked for a job in the last four weeks, you're no longer part of the labor force. So that brings the unemployment rate, in my view, artificially lower. Now, a better measure of the real employment rate is something called the labor force participation rate, in my view. Now, if you examine the labor force participation rate of late, you also come to a positive conclusion. 
Now, CNS News reported last week that the labor force participation rate is rising. I'll give you just a bit from the CNS News article. The labor force participation rate reached a Trump-era high of 63.4%, up from 63.2% in December, because the civilian labor force increased by 574,000 in January after accounting for annual adjustments to population controls. That's from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. In January, the the civilian non-institutional population in the United States was about 260 to be exact. Now, that number includes all people age 16 and older who do not live in an institution, like a nursing home, long-term care facility, or prison. Now, of that number, the 259 million, about 164 million were participating in the labor force. That means they either have a job or they were actively seeking one during the last month. Now, the labor force participation rate, when you do the math, the $164 million as the numerator of the fraction and the $260 million as the denominator, comes up with 63.4%. And that's the highest the labor force participation rate has been since June of 2013. Now, that is a significant improvement using a measure that is, in my view, a lot more accurate than the official unemployment rate. An increase in the labor force participation rate simply means this. More people are working and more people are re-entering the workforce because they're encouraged. Now, that's the good news. The bad news is that it's not reported hardly at all that much of the economic expansion that we're seeing is debt-fueled. Now, lest any of you more politically partisan listeners begin to point fingers at one political party or another, I'll remind you this trend began more than two decades ago, and it's been the cause, in my view, of the bus cycles we saw in 2000 and 2002 when the tech stock bubble burst and the meltdown of 2007 to 2009. Now, here's why debt fueled expansion always comes to an end and we have a bust part of the cycle. And if you think about it, this will make sense. Debt can only accumulate to a certain level before the trend has to reverse. So in other words, just think about this in terms of your household. You have a certain level of income that comes in to your house. You pay taxes. They probably come out of your paycheck. And whatever you have left, you use to buy food, to buy fuel, to pay your utility bills, and maybe make payments on debt service. Now, you can only accumulate debt and make payments to the extent that you have income to make the payments. If you were to max out your ability to make payments on the debt, you don't have the ability to go out and get another loan. And that's why debt can only accumulate to a certain level before the trend has to reverse. And now I'm talking about this collectively. Well, since the last meltdown, the Fed has been expanding its balance sheet or printing money. And while that has created a certain level of what feels like prosperity, 
what it has done is contributed to debt-fueled expansion. And it will ultimately have a high price because you always have to deal with debt. Now, according to Forbes, there's currently about $1.6 trillion in student loan debt. According to Investopedia, there's about $1.2 trillion in automobile debt. And according to The Balance, there's about $1.1 trillion in credit card debt. $1.6 trillion in student loan debt, $1.2 trillion in automobile debt, and $1.1 trillion in credit card debt. That's about $4 trillion in debt in those three categories alone. Now, that, moving ahead, will have to be a drag on consumer spending. And the U.S. economy is extremely dependent upon consumers, you and I, going out and spending money to be healthy. I believe that the U.S. economy is dependent to to about 71% on consumer spending. So consumer spending makes up over 70% of economic output. Well, if consumers are accumulating debt and consuming more of their income to service that debt, at a certain point, consumer spending has to slow. Because as I said, Once the ability to service the debt stops, so does debt accumulation. Now, if you add in mortgage debt, home equity line of credit, and other debt, and combine those with the auto loan, credit card, and student loan debt, total U.S. household debt is now about $14 trillion. That's huge. But let me go back and just take a look at student loan debt, automobile debt, and credit card debt totaling $4 trillion. And let me put that in perspective because $4 trillion is a number that is pretty hard to relate to for most people. Well, $4 trillion is enough to buy about 141 million new Ford F-150 pickups. $141 million. Let that sink in for a minute. Now, when debt accumulation reaches reaches its limit, and I don't know as anyone can tell you with absolute accuracy when that might be, you will see the bust part of the cycle kick in, in my view. My next guest on the program, Mr. Gerald Salente, who will be joining me after the upcoming break, has a rather dire prediction for 2021. He believes that's when the next stage of the bus cycle will kick in. So my question for you is, are you ready? What does your portfolio look like if the bust part of the cycle were to kick in? Do you have more risk in your portfolio than you should be taking? If you'd like to learn more, I'd invite you to go to retirementlifestyleadvocates.com and we have resources there I would also invite you to check out one of our free educational dinner events where we talk about this, we talk about maximizing Social Security, and uh, we also talk about some tax planning strategies that are available under the new tax law. If you'd like to learn more about our next event, visit socialsecuritydinner.com. I'll be back after these words with Mr. Gerald Salente. 
I am Dennis Tuberg, and you are listening to RLA Radio, and I am pleased to welcome back to today's program Mr. Gerald Salente. Uh, Gerald is a renowned uh, trends forecaster. He is the publisher of Trends Journal. You can learn more about his work at trendsjournal.com, where you can read history before it happens. And Gerald, welcome back to the program today. Oh, thanks for having me on. So, Gerald, uh, we talk about the headlines, uh, the coronavirus. Uh, what what gives? What, where is this going to end? Goodbye, Rosie, Queen of Coronavirus. Is that the one? <laughs> 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 well, you know, I'm looking at the numbers, and they don't add up to be very big. Now, what do we have about at this time? About 1,500 people dead of the virus. Last year in America, 61,000 people died of the flu. And when you look at the details of this coronavirus, the people that it's killing have already uh, symptoms that uh, make them more susceptible to dying from it. So we don't see it at this point. Uh, it's, it's just, again, when you add up the numbers, they don't add up to much. And then they're saying this is worse than the SARS virus. 800 people died from the SARS virus. And I'm not great at math, but 800 people back then in a popul world population of 6.5 billion, it adds up to nothing. So to me, there's another element behind this as well. And that is for people to really look at how powerful the Chinese government is, where they could quarantine you know, 60 million people plus they could control and shut down the whole country and do anything they want with it any time they want. So if this is a practice drill, it went great. And then you could expect this in every other country when they want to do something to us and blame it on something. They could shut it down, lock you up, and they'll tell you what to do and how to do it. So that's the way I look at this right now. So Gerald, when 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 you look at this and and you and you make those statements, and I think I have to admit that's a perspective that uh, I've not uh, looked at this from. Um, how do you think that this uh, might play out in the future? You say it's a practice run. A practice run for what? Well, it's a practice run if in, on how the government could control entire nations and put the people under house arrest virtually. And China's showing how it could be done. And that's a country of 1.4 billion people. And how strong the, the government is and the military. They'll do, that in, they'll do that in France. They'll do it in America. They'll do it in Canada. They'll do it in any country that they want. Germany, Italy, the governments are in control and the people can't fight back. That's what I see here. So, Gerald, let me shift gears just a little bit because, uh, you know, the, the, the economic picture, if you listen to mainstream media, is good. The labor force participation rate is up. Uh, give me your view as to the health of both the U.S. and the world economy. Well, uh, we'll tie this back into the coronavirus. This thing is going to hit China's economy. You know, it happened at, just at the start of their uh, Lunar New Year and that's a time to celebrate, party, go out and spend and travel. And that closed down. So it's going to take a hit on their economy, and their economy is already facing stagflation. In other words, their growth isn't accelerating and inflation is going up. 
So it's going to have a negative impact. On the global economy, there's already a slowdown. I mean, look at the facts. Oh, they had a great um, last quarter over there in Europe. Yeah, it grew the grand total of 0.1%. Look what's going on in Mexico. Recession. Go around the world. Take a look at the take a look at the markets. Take a look at the numbers. The markets are in total total contradiction of what the rest of the global economy is doing. They just had an election in Ireland. The party that won was totally unexpected to win. Why did they win? Well, according to the polls, people aren't making any money. They can't afford rents. They can't afford health care. Homeless issues. And then you go around the world, and it's the same thing. Hey, lovely time going on in Chile. Oh, yeah, the protests are still going on, and they're still shooting people. And what are they, what are they protesting about? The same thing. All the money is at the top, government corruption, and the people have nothing. When people have nothing left to lose, they lose it. So looking at the global economy, there's a slowdown. It's been artificially propped up with monetary methadone that they call quantitative easing. And what they're also doing now, of course, is in the repo market, injecting more dough into the market so the, so the uh, traders, the Wall Street traders, could gamble. And it's going on around the world as they lower interest rates, making money cheap, so the addicted gamblers could keep gambling. So what's going on in the equity markets has absolutely no correlation to what's going on in the general public. So in the numbers that you mentioned about the job numbers and on and on, the job numbers, you get, where are the, where's the growth? Oh, in healthcare? Oh, in warehouse work? That's where the biggest growth is. Hospitality sector. Isn't that a nice name? Hospitality sector. Working as waiters, waitresses, you know, and, and, and in hotels making beds and things. Not that I'm degrading that at all. Not at all. I was a bartender for a lot of years, a young man. However, you can't make a real earning, life's earnings on a lot of those jobs. So that's why when you see what's going on in the real world and you look at the real numbers, it's it's not a good show. And we're looking now, for example, at, um, at, at, at people, they can't pay their bills. You're looking at credit card debt in the United States just escalated a couple of hundred billion dollars, a couple of hundred billion dollars. And now Americans are what? Some over 14 trillion dollars in debt. One in three American workers run out of money before payday. So that's what's going on. It's a totally, it's a, it's a total sham. It's, it's thievery in the first degree. According to the Levy Institute at Bard College, the Federal Reserve, the banksters, the crooks that we have to bail out, got $29 trillion, with a T, trillion dollars since late 2007 to 2010. The whole thing is a scam. And that's why you're seeing these revolts going on around the world. But you won't see them in the United States or Canada because the people don't have the fight to do it. You know, Gerald, uh, and if you're just joining us, we're chatting with Gerald Salente. He is the publisher of Trends Journal. I would encourage you to check out his work at trendsjournal.com where you can read history before it happens. And, and Gerald, you know, you said something that uh, I think maybe uh, shocked some of our listeners that, you know, the, the Fed is engaging in, in QE, although we're not supposed to call it that, to prop up the repo market, which, 
you know, most people understand is the overnight lending market between banks. And you said this is just giving the gamblers more money to gamble. Can you explain to the listeners exactly what you mean by that? Yeah, they borrow the money overnight at virtually no interest rates, 1.55% interest rates, while we, the stupid little ignorant people, the workers of Slavelandia, when we get credit cards, what do they charge us? 17% and above. But, but, but the in-crowd, they get the money for free. They're gamblers. They're overnight traders that, do this, that get this money, and that's what they're doing with it. So the repo markets have already, since September 17th of last year to the middle of January, they've pumped in $7 trillion. Unbelievable. So, Joe, where does it stop? I mean... Uh, we're, we're seeing, uh, you know, the real inflation rate obviously uh, is, is reflective of uh, all this money creation or this monetary methadone, as you, as you call it. Um, where does it stop? I mean, it seems like the Fed is painted in a corner. They've got no choice but to keep printing money. And, and what's the end game here? The end game is it's going to collapse, just like it did in 2007. And they're running out of, they're running out of the drug to, you know, it's just like an addict. And that it keeps taking a drug, keeps taking a drug, keeps taking a drug. And then finally there's, you know, the OD. And that's what's going on now. And you made the point that they won't. How dare you call quantitative easing quantitative easing? <laughs> exactly. We're not calling it quantitative easing, even though it's quantitative easing. Who the hell do you think you are? Do you know who I am? I'm the Fed chair. I got up here by bending over and taking it up you-know-what because that's the way you rise to the top in this game. And you're telling me that this isn't quantitative easing? It's one big criminal activity in front of the people's face. They're stealing the money from us and giving it to them. And then you have that other little slimy, low-life character that's now back working with the white shoe boys, that Eric Holder. Yeah, hold this. The former attorney general under Obama. The banksters that get convicted, convicted of fraudulent activities, not one went to jail. You know why? Because Holder said they're too big to jail. Well, you, wait, 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 you, 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 you get pulled over by a cop, you go going uh, eight miles over the limit, your signal light wasn't working, where were you? Get out of the car, stand on your head, repeat the alphabet backwards. Justice means just us. And that's why I'm going back to the coronavirus. To show you how a country can be totally controlled by the slimy people running it. The presidents, the prime ministers, the chancellors, and the congresses, and the parliaments. All they are are paid-off crooks from the gangsters, who are the banksters and the other ones. The big corporations that are in control. So, Gerald, uh, we've got just a minute left in this segment. And the good news is, if you're just joining us, uh, Mr. Salente will be joining us again in the next segment. So, do you see uh, a collapse that looks like 2007 stocks go, real estate goes, or does it look different this time? This time it's different. It's going to be the greatest depression, and I'm forecasting it's going to happen in 2021. Well, we're going to have to leave it there. Our guest today is is Mr. Gerald Salente. He will be back in the next segment. So stay with us. RLA Radio will return.
You are listening to RLA Radio. I'm Dennis Tubergen. I am chatting today with Mr. Gerald Salente. Mr. Salente is the longtime publisher of Trends Journal. Uh, you can visit his website to learn more about his work at trendsjournal.com. And uh, Gerald, we kind of ended the last segment a bit abruptly when you were forecasting uh, a Great Depression beginning in 2021. Um, talk about, in your view, what this looks like. How will the average person be affected? Will it be like the one in the 30s? No, it'll be worse. It's the Greatest Depression. Go back to the 1930s, 90 years ago, right? How many people were on the planet? Two billion. How many do we have now? 7.7 billion. 5.7 billion people added in 90 years? Oh, well, I'm a population expert. Shove it. Nobody's a population expert. Nobody's ever dealt with this. These numbers are off the charts. So now, when you put in robotics, when you put in artificial intelligence, when you put in all these people and the inability to get jobs for them to work, you have a situation that made the Great Depression look like just a recession. Homelessness skyrocketing. Refugees, migrants, flooding, human waves, leaving countries that, that of poverty, violence, corruption, doing anything they can to escape. You're looking now at crashes in equity markets that will mirror that of the last depression in the sense that this time it's going to take over a decade or more for the markets to start coming back because they're already overvalued. The P.E. ratios are, are way above where they should be. They're over 26. They should be around 16. And then you're going to start seeing more and more civil wars within countries. Again, when people lose everything and have nothing left to lose, they lose it. And they've run, an out, they've run out of the monetary methadone. You already have negative interest rates in, in Europe, minus 0.5%. You can't make this stuff up. You got negative rates in, in Japan. This time, excuse me, before this time, but I say by October of this year, we're going to have negative to zero interest rate policy in the United States and Canada. And countries around the world will be bringing their, their interest rates below where they are now dramatically as they can. But they don't have a lot of room to go down. When the last recession hit, the Federal Reserve could lower interest rates 5%. Now with the overnight rate at one5 they don't have a lot of room to go down. So they're going to be doing more of what they call fiscal stimulus. In other words, we have to pay more money for the government to create more stupid jobs. And that's not going to do it. So this is going to be very, very, it's going to be a tough one. And again, I don't give financial advice. Uh, but for me, gold is going to be the ultimate safe haven. So, Gerald, when, when uh, I, I listened to you talking and uh, – you know, you, you visualize that you know, the, the way most people invest, the average person working that has money in a 401k or an IRA, 
they have money in stocks, they have money in bonds, and you know, with all these negative interest rates uh, in, in bonds, I mean, b- bonds cannot be a safe haven anymore. So if if what you're forecasting comes to pass, um, you're going to see you know just retirements wiped out. Um, and and is that is that a is that a pretty pretty clear uh, uh, outcome as 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 far as you're concerned? Yes, it is, and it's already happening. I mean, the, the, the baby boomers, you know, deaf, blind, and out of their mind. You know, I'm, 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 I'm the first generation of baby boomers. I'm born in 46. And I know this game. And I know so many people of my age and younger that don't have any money, that are struggling. And it's going to get much worse as you get older. You get, you become, you get more illnesses. You don't have people to take care of you. No, this and, and now you, your retirement has been wiped out by how many how many companies back in the when the Great Recession hit, how many people got screwed out of everything they had. So it's going to be it's going to be a very difficult time unless the governments change, and they're not going to because, you know, I tell people look up the definition of politician. Go to Google, put in definition of politician. A person who is professionally involved in politics, blah 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 blah. A person who acts in a manipulative and devious way, typically to gain advancement within an organization. Capisce? That's who they are. They're slimy, low-life people who never worked a day in their lives that have been sucking off the public tit and telling you what to do, and morons and imbeciles call the money that they get campaign contributions, while adults call it bribes and payoffs. So, Gerald, the timing of, of what you're predicting is going to be uh, uh, interesting, if that's a strong enough word, given that we've got an election coming up this year in November. And, you know, when you take a look at the, the, the political divide in the country, there's this big divide between socialism and what is allegedly capitalism. Um, and, and, you know, you look at the young people, you look at the millennials, they're, they're fed up and they, they're looking to socialism. So how do you see... Uh, these dynamics of this widening wealth gap and this uh, move towards socialism among the young people in the United States playing out as far as this year's election is concerned? Well, I I wouldn't use the word socialism, just like it's inappropriate to use the word capitalism. Because in capitalism, and we could keep going on with this, but we just start with saying it and ending it very clear, there's no such thing as too big to fail. You rise and fall on your own merits. So this isn't capitalism, it's corporatism. They bail out their buddies. This isn't socialism either. I mean, they want more benefits and want more things because they're getting nothing. And what the Obamacare did, all that really did was make the big uh, insurance companies and uh, much richer. I mean, the facts are there. Their stocks have, you know, and profits have skyrocketed. But what they're looking at is they're looking at this great inequality. They just had an election again in, 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 in Ireland. And, and the party that won was totally unexpected to win. Why did it win? Health care? Can't afford rents? Can't afford to buy a house? Homelessness? And lousy pay? Welcome to the world. Chile, Ecuador, Colombia, Peru, Venezuela, Algeria, South Africa, Zimbabwe, Lebanon, Hong Kong. France, one country after another, people taking to the streets, strikes, protests, riots, civil wars, because the money has gone to the 1%. I'm not making that up. According to the Oxfam report, 
You have 26 people in the world have more money than half the world's population. In the great equal USSA, we have three people, Gates, Buffett, and Bezos, that have more money than half of America's population. And then you look at who owns the stocks. The 1% owns the vast majority, and the 10% own the rest. And we, the little people, have the crumbs. So what what are you forecasting for uh, the election this year? Do you see anybody defeating Trump from the Democratic side? No. Our top trend for 2020, one of them was Trump by default. And it's the fault of the Democrats. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a joke. These, I call them the repulsivekins and the dumbo craps. I mean, look at these. <laughs> I mean, look at them. I mean, what, 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 what person with an ounce of self-respect would take orders from any of these people? Could you imagine Chucky Schumer, Pelosi, coming in and telling you, listen, Dennis, you do this, or, or Mitch McConnell, or Lindsey Graham, giving you orders? Or tough little boy Mitt Romney, a little squeaky nothing. Look at these people. So, no, the whole thing, it's, it's a joke. It's a joke. Whoever wins is just going to be the leader of the mob. And when I say the mob, by their deeds you shall know them. What's your favorite war? Did you like the, uh, uh, oh, Bill Clinton destroying Iraq and, and having uh, Madeleine Albright? On 60 Minutes, anybody could Google it up with Leslie Stahl. When they, Leslie Stahl asked Madeleine Albright when she was UN ambassador under Clinton, is the price of 500,000 Iraqi children dead worth the, worth the sanctions? And she said, yes, it is. And then we have, do you like the Afghan war that's going on for 19 years? Maybe the Iraq war, based on lies. That guy is sod. He has to go. I don't like him. I want him out of there. That was the Nobel Peace of Crap Prize winner, Obama, the Syrian war that he started, along with Hillary Clinton, Samantha Power, Susan Rice. Assad has to go. So look what you're looking at. And then I talk about, so they're murderers and they're thieves. They steal our money. It's right in front of everybody's eyes. You're a big corporation. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a tax break. We're going to call it a tax break, but what we're going to do is going to steal the money from the people and give it to you. So whoever wins makes no difference. It's just more of the same. Every country that I mentioned before, there are protests in trying to overthrow the establishment government, establishment governments, the establishment gangs that are running the show, except in the United States and Canada. So, Gerald, we've got uh, maybe a minute left. Uh, you, you made a comment that you thought by the uh, election here in the United States, we could see negative interest rate policy. Uh, do you see helicopter money also? Yep. They're going to do everything they can to keep the equity markets alive. And if anybody thinks the president doesn't have power over the Federal Reserve, look what Nixon did to Burns when he forced him to lower interest rates before the election. And what Paul Volcker said, he just passed away, he wanted to get his book out before he died, brought into the White House and told by James Baker, the chief of staff, with Reagan sitting next to him, you have orders from the president not to raise interest rates before Election Day. Trump is in charge. He's going to push interest rates lower. And again, these guys don't get to their position like Powell and all the rest of bureaucracies without bending over and sucking up and taking it up. You know where they do as they're told. So look for it. zero to negative interest rates by November. 
We're going to have to leave it there. Our guest today has been Mr. Gerald Salente. Uh, you can learn more about Gerald's work at TrendsJournal.com. I would encourage you to check it out. Gerald, always a pleasure to chat with you and appreciate your perspective very much. Uh, love to have you back down the road. Uh, love to be on. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. We'll be back after these words. I'm Dennis Tuberg, and you're listening to RLA Radio. Thanks to Mr. Gerald Salente for joining us on today's program. You know, in the first segment of today's program, I talked about debt, and I talked about the fact that private sector debt levels really contribute to the boom part of the cycle as they build and accumulate, and then when they reach a level that is no longer sustainable, the bust part of the cycle kicks in. Well, I mentioned that student loan debt is now at $1.6 trillion. Automobile debt is $1.2 trillion, and there's $1.1 trillion in credit card debt. But if you look at where credit card debt is presently and what happened to credit card debt over the holidays, um, it's really mind-boggling. During the month of December... Consumers added $9.4 billion in auto and student loans, but added $12.63 billion in credit card debt. So one of the reasons that it was such a terrific holiday season for retailers is that credit card debt went up more in one month than at any time since 1998. So credit card debt has not increased at this level in more than 20 years. So when you, when you take a look at, at, at this, it's, it's very, very close to what I believe is going to be the end of the boom part of the cycle. Now, it's not just private sector debt that we need to be concerned about. Public sector debt has also exploded. Now, when you think about public sector debt, it is really private sector debt. I mean, who pays government debt at the municipal, state, or federal level? Well, if it does get paid, it rests, that responsibility, I should say, rests with the taxpayer. Now, this is true unless you're among those who believe in the fairy tale of modern monetary theory and printing money indefinitely with no consequences. History teaches us that simply can't work. Despite what some of today's current political aspirants might tell you. Now, the national debt stands at more than $23 trillion presently. We have trillion-dollar deficits for as far as the eye can see, largely due to the underfunded liabilities of Social Security and Medicare. According to the most recent Social Security trustee report, the underfunded liabilities of Social Security are more than $40 trillion. To put that in perspective, that is 10 times the total student loan, automobile debt, and credit card debt combined. Medicare's underfunded liabilities are about double that. So if you add the national debt to the underfunded liabilities of Social Security and Medicare, you get a number north of $130 trillion. And just those liabilities total about $1.5 million 
for U.S. taxpayer. Now, that doesn't count private sector debt, state government debt, or municipal debt. Now, there are many municipalities that are sound. Washington, D.C., not surprisingly, has a budget surplus. However, if you take a look at some of the big cities out there, like, for example, New York, you get a very, very different picture. In fact, if you look at the city of New York, the city of New York has about $60 billion on hand to pay $250 billion in bills. So what does that mean? That means if you live in New York and you're a taxpayer, you're going to have to cough up more than $60,000 just to get the city back in black ink. So take a resident of New York that not only has their own credit card debt, maybe has some student loan debt, maybe has an automobile loan, maybe has a mortgage. They also have the responsibility of about $1.5 million to contribute their share to the underfunded liabilities of Social Security and Medicare and pay off the national debt, and another $60-some-thousand to the city in which they live. We have a debt problem that cannot be solved. Chicago residents, you need to come up with about $37,000 per taxpayer. Honolulu and Philadelphia, about $25,000 per taxpayer. And New Orleans, about $18,000. Now, my point is this. Everywhere you look, in the private sector and in the public sector, massive unpayable levels of debt exist. Now, moving ahead... It seems obvious that politicians will, will be called on at the federal level for bailouts. Where are they going to get the money for bailouts? They're going to borrow it or print it, but more likely the latter. Now, over the last couple of years around the world, globally, other countries are collectively net sellers of U.S. government debt. And the Fed continues to expand its balance sheet. And if you listen to all of today's program, you know what that means. Now, in the events at which I speak, I often quote Thomas Jefferson. And Jefferson, one of the founding fathers, had this to say about banks issuing the currency of the country. And incidentally, the Federal Reserve is a private group of bankers. Mr. Jefferson said that if the American people ever allow private banks to control the issue of their currency, first through inflation, then through deflation, the banks and corporations that will grow up around them will deprive their children of the very continent their fathers conquered. Isn't that an eerie prophecy of where we are today? First through inflation, then through deflation. That perfectly describes a boom and bust cycle that becomes more extreme with each cycle. So, knowing that probably more money will be created, we know exactly how that is likely to end. And we know that it will be very helpful for many investors to think about having tangible assets in their portfolio. You don't want to have only tangible assets, but you don't want to have only traditional paper assets either. 
So if you'd like to learn more about adding tangible assets to your portfolio, if you'd like to uh, learn more about reducing taxes on your retirement accounts, I would encourage you to check out our free event. Uh, we've got an event coming up at the end of this month. You can go to socialsecuritydinner.com to get more information. And I said at the outset, if you're not yet a subscriber to the Portfolio Watch newsletter, I would encourage you to do that. It's free. It's delivered every Monday at 5 p.m. All you have to do is go to retirementlifestyleadvocates.com, uh, subscribe to the Portfolio Watch newsletter, and every Monday at 5, that will be delivered to your inbox. Remember, nobody cares as much about your money as you do. That's all the time I have for this week. I hope you got something you can use, and I'll be back again next week.